Happy Easter, Mill City. He is risen. Some of you are like, what just happened right there? So in the first century, after Jesus rose from the grave, uh, fellow Christians would say, he is risen. And the response was, he is risen indeed. So let's try that again. He is risen. Hey, all right. For anybody who's brand new with us, so glad that you're here. My name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And I also want to take a moment and welcome anybody joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us. Can we just warmly welcome our live stream today? So in 1950, there was an experiment conducted by Harvard University to find out how long rats could survive in waters, like how long would they tread water before they drowned. Important research. They put a group of rats into the tub of water and they lasted for 15 minutes before they drowned. So then they put a new set of rats into the water and right before they drowned, right around the 15 minute mark, they took them out. And they dried them off, gave them a little time to rest and then put them back in to see how long they would last. Any idea how long they lasted the second time? 60 hours. Crazy. You know why? At one critical thing, hope. If hope can cause exhausted rats to swim, then what might hope do for our world? I would guess we could all agree our world is a mess and needs some help and has a lot of broken pieces and parts. doesn't take long to turn on the news or scroll through a feed and see abuse and gun violence, racism and genocide and war, political tribalism. The list goes on and on. And I wonder if we feel hopeful about any of those things. Hopelessness would be the thought that nothing is going to get any better than it is right now. It may not get worse, but it's not going to get better. It may actually get worse, but it's, there's no hope for improvement. If hope can cause exhausted rats to swim, then I wonder what hope would do for our souls. Do you find yourself today thin on hope? Do you find yourself maybe exhausted or feel like you're about to drown, maybe wondering if you're going to make it in relationship to marriage, or maybe it's in relationship to finances or some sort of sickness or disease, wondering about anxiety and depression, or maybe you're in a place where you're experiencing suicidal ideation. It is not an accident you're here today, because Easter Sunday of all Sundays is all about hope. It is the hope that can cause things to change. It is the hope that says something can get better. Hope does something to us. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope for this life and the life to come. Now, before we talk about this hope that is offered as a result of Jesus' resurrection, first we need to define the hope that we're actually talking about. There are three types of hope. The first one is casual hope. This is wishful thinking. You know, I hope I find a good parking space. I hope it doesn't snow again this spring. I hope the Broncos go to the Super Bowl, right? Wishful thinking. There's also important hope. 
This is an optimistic outlook. These are usually in relationship to more weighty things. This would be like a medical diagnosis. I hope this goes well. Maybe it's in relationship to to a relationship. I, I hope we make it. Maybe it's about a job. I hope I get this one. But there's a lot of things in life where optimism, looking on the bright side, isn't enough. Which is why the third type of hope is confident hope, or some might call ultimate hope. Rock-solid expectation that goodness is coming no matter what happens. That's the kind of hope that Jesus offers to us and is reflected in the resurrection of Jesus. So to better understand this hope, we want to take a look at a story that we find in John chapter 11, the Gospel of John, in a situation that seems hopeless. Now this story is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and he is the brother of Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus have been hanging around Jesus, and so they're very aware of what he can do. They've seen him heal people, as indicated through the Gospels. And so they go to Jesus. He's in another town, and they say, Jesus, you got to come. Lazarus is on his deathbed. Will you come heal him? Jesus doesn't make it back in time. So Lazarus dies. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha is talking about the future, the end. But Jesus is referencing the present. Jesus says to her, though, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supporting, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Now Mary and Martha see Jesus at two different times. But there's an interesting thing about this particular passage because they both say the same thing to Jesus, but Jesus gives a different response to each of them. Martha goes to Jesus first And she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus 
counters Mary's, Mar- excuse me, Martha's despair with hope. And he talks about resurrection, confident hope. He says, your brother will rise again. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he is actually giving her hope for that moment, but he's also giving hope for eternity. But in that moment, as he's talking about Lazarus coming out of the grave, and he's also talking about this future resurrection, he's also making a claim about his deity. He's making a claim that he's God and divine. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. First century Jewish ears would have quickly identified that statement, I am, as a statement about his divinity. They would have understood and known the Old Testament scriptures where God says, I am that I am. And at one, another point in the Gospels, Jesus, in response to a question, makes the same, same statement. He says, I am. In the Gospel of John, there's multiple I am statements like this one. I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What's he saying? I don't just share truth with you. I am truth. I don't just point you to the way or a way. I am the way. I don't just tell you about God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. What is he saying? I am God. The founders of every religion say, I'm a prophet who shows you how to find God. But Jesus made a radical statement by saying, I am God coming to find you. So he counters Martha's despair with hope. Hope of resurrection. Hope of not hopelessness. But Mary talks to him just a little bit later, and she also says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But he doesn't respond with, I am the resurrection and the life. He responds with emotion. He counters Martha's despair with hope, and he enters Mary's despair with weeping. He shows and expresses his deity to Martha, and he expresses his humanity to Mary. See, in weeping, deity is joined to the vulnerability of humanity, which means Jesus meets you in your pain with confident hope and the ministry of tears. He sees you. He doesn't dismiss your pain and your humanity. He meets you right where you are, right in the middle of the despair. These women were despairing. They were beside themselves. God sees you. God meets you in the middle of all of that. The Bible says that we are to mourn with those who mourn, and that is exactly what Jesus was doing here. He mourns with Mary meeting her in her pain. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. It's the both and. In the same space, grief and joy, hope and loss in the same space. 
And Jesus embodies this in, in this interaction with Mary and Martha. The story continues. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now this phrase, or a couple of words, deeply moved, more specifically and accurately translated, is not that he cried more. It's actually that he bellowed with anger. Jesus was absolutely furious. He was raging, not at the sisters. He was raging at death itself. You ever find yourself in that place? Raging at death? Angry at death? I know Jossie and I have been there. We've lost when we lost our little girl. We were angry. You know those hot tears that come stream down your face? It's a mixture of sadness and anger. That's what Jesus is experiencing and expressing right here. What do we think? What are we saying in those moments? This isn't right. Protesting the, the death and, the, and the, the things not being fair or not being right, not the way they're supposed to be. And you know what? When you say that, when you feel that, when you protest that, you know what you're doing? You're joining with God. You're joining with Jesus. Is anyone else angry at death here? I know somebody that lost their dad just within this last year. Josie lost her mom unexpectedly about four years ago. One of my sons lost his best friend to leukemia earlier this year at 18 years old. You know what that makes us angry? And it should because it's not the way it's supposed to be. It wasn't the way that God designed. Jesus noticed he doesn't dismiss Mary and like, come on, stop weeping. We all die anyway. Now he says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And here's the beautiful thing. I'm going to do something about it. And Martha's thinking, because he's God. I am the resurrection in the life. The story continues. It says it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. I just... Just as a little aside here, I just love that God, Jesus, is not afraid of the mess or the smell. Sometimes we think, oh, I've blown it too bad, God. I, I smell too much. I bring too much mess. I, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you later. Jesus says, no, bring it. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Profound story. Jesus is foreshadowing his coming out of a grave in not too long time. But here's some interesting things. Lazarus later died again. So, but Jesus didn't die a second time. You might say it this way, Lazarus was resuscitated. 
but Jesus was resurrected. See, Lazarus came out of the grave foreshadowing Jesus coming out of the grave. Jesus was resurrected, came out of the grave foreshadowing us and the whole world coming out of the grave and experiencing resurrection life. See, Lazarus coming out of the grave means his death would, was, his, his life was prolonged. Jesus coming out of the grave signified the defeat of death and ultimate hope for the world. N.T. Wright, British theologian, says, What God did for Jesus on Easter, he will one day do for the whole world. He'll make it right. John, the revelator, he wrote the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And here on this island, he has some visions. And one of the particular visions he has is regarding the end. What will happen when Jesus comes back? He records it here in chapter 21, the second to the last chapter of the Bible. And he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, S-E-A. In the first century Jewish tradition, sea was the place where evil and chaos and destruction and everything wrong with the world lived. So he's saying all of that was gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything Do you have any Lord of the Rings fans in the room? Maybe you read the books or seen the movies or both. Maybe you remember at the end in the, of, the, of the story, Samwise Ganji, Frodo's close friend, um, wakes up after being rescued from the fires of Mount Doom and, and he sees Gandalf alive, the wizard. And he says, Gandalf, I, I, I thought you were dead. Actually, he says, but then I thought I was dead. Then he asks Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? See, the whole Bible says that is what Jesus is going to do in the end. We're not going to be taken out of this world into heaven, but heaven is going to come down at the end of time to renew or resurrect the whole world. No more death, no more crying, and every tear will be wiped away. In essence, resurrection means everything sad is going to come untrue. That is ultimate hope. An expectation that the best is yet to come. Maybe it's not in this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come, all will be made right. All that is sad will come untrue. That, my friends, is good news. That, my friends, is something that we can put our hope in and we can lay uh, the weight of our lives and every concern we have on Jesus. Now, maybe you're here today and you would say you're a skeptic. Or maybe you would say, you know what, I'm just here because, you know, I just had to come. Or this is what we do on 
Easter. And you say, but you know, and I'm not a Bible person. You know, you, this is your, your Bible stories, and you know, I just, it's nice that you take this on blind faith. Actually, we don't take it on blind faith. We don't just say, oh, well, the Bible says it, therefore it's true. Actually, it's based on historical faith. Historical faith is based on eyewitness accounts and plausibility. So Caesar Augustus, who lived during the similar time as Jesus, is understood to have lived and did what he did because of historical faith. The Apostle Paul, several decades later, after Jesus uh, rises from the grave and ascends into heaven, kind of establishes some of this historical faith for the, cent- for the first century believers. And he says, for what I received, I passed on to you. He's talking about Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This according to the Scriptures phrase is a reference to what we know now as the Old Testament. And for this first century people that were hearing this, they were, there, was, there, was over three, there was over 300 prophecies, the book of Isaiah, found in the book of Psalms, fallen in all these different places, indicating Jesus coming to the earth, dying in the way that he died, resurrecting the way that he died. It wasn't one or two people kind of uh, saying something. It was actually dozens and dozens of people over at different times in history, in different places around the world, different socioeconomic strata of society, all prophesying these little pieces that all come together in the reality of Jesus. Then he goes on and he says, and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Peter is the one who denied Jesus. And then to the twelve, his closest friends, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. What's he saying? If you don't believe me, go ask them. There's hundreds of them still alive. Ask them if it's true. Some people had said that maybe it was conspiracy. He's saying there's too many people for the conspiracy not to fall apart at some point. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. Now, this is kind of interesting because because he went from one Peter to the 12 to the 500. Did he forget? I mean, he went from, you know, small to big. Why in the world does James all of a sudden show up just by himself? Did he not want to hit delete, you know, or erase or start over? I don't know. This is why. James was Jesus' brother. If there's anybody who is not going to let someone blow smoke about who they are, especially saying that they rose from the dead. It's a sibling. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I'm no, I've known this kid my whole life. He's crazy. Right? No, no, no. He says, go ask his brother. He'll tell you this is true. And then to all the apostles. The apostles would all be either killed or, in the case of John, who wrote the book of Revelation, exiled to the island of Patmos because they refused to deny the resurrection of Jesus. Meaning, if there's ever a time that you're going to like, I'm not going to hold on to this joke anymore, it's when your life is on the line. So the fact that they were willing to be killed for this belief gives validation to the fact that they actually saw it and believed it. 
You might say, well, again, Aaron, you're just using something out of the Scripture. All of the things that I just mentioned are also recorded by the Jewish Roman historian Josephus, who died in 100 A.D. There is as much historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection as Julius Caesar's death in 40 A.D. and the destruction of Rome in 70 A.D. So if we're willing to take those as historical fact, then what do we say about Jesus? What do we say about Jesus and his resurrection? And the reality is, is we do have to ask that question and say, oh, I don't know. Actually, it is a pretty confronting question. What, who's Jesus? And what about this resurrection thing? What does it mean? What am I going to do with it? In the 1800s, there's a Scottish pastor named John Duncan, and he called the answer to this question a trilemma, meaning there's three answers and three only. The first possible answer is that Jesus was a deceiver, meaning he intentionally deceived or led people astray. He was malicious. Second option is that he's delusional. Bono from U2 said that Jesus is either who he said he was or he is nuts. Or the third option is that he's actually divine. Which means that you can reject him because he's evil, he's fraudulent intentionally. You can run from him because he's a lunatic. Or you can worship him because he's divine and God. But you can't respond moderately. That actually would be dishonest. So can we be honest with ourselves and ask and answer, who do I say that Jesus is? Is he who he said he was? That he was divine. He was in fact God, but he was human and he came and he did actually come out of the grave. He actually did do what he said he was going to do. Who did I say he is. Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he was? That's the question we've got to answer. Not what do, I th- what do I think of Christians? What do I think of the church? Unfortunately, some of the questions to that, the answer to those questions don't always lead to the same place. But can we ask the question, who is Jesus and who does he say he was? What does history say that he was? And for some of you here today, maybe you're in church for the first time or the first time in a long time. And you're sensing the invitation from God. And maybe you find yourself in a place with thin to no hope. Hopeless. You would say, yeah, that's me, Aaron. I I don't think anything gets any better. And it certainly doesn't for me. But when you talk about that kind of hope, that's the kind of hope I need. I need the kind of hope that I can build my life on. I can always be looking ahead, knowing that it will get better, even if that means just when Jesus returns. All sad things coming untrue, gee, I want that. I want that. And if that's you and You say, I I need that. I want that. I'm willing to respond. I need to respond to that invitation. Here's the beautiful thing. It's simple. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised 
Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So we believe that he actually is who he says he is and he did what he said he was going to do, that that actually happened and declare, you're my Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. A simple, sincere response. Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you died and rose again. And I want to follow you. You can say it sincerely under your breath. It's not the only thing we need to say to God, but it is a beautiful and powerful first thing to say to God. And that statement and step of faith is life and trajectory altering. Because just like Jesus was dead and came out of the grave, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, alive in Christ Jesus. I think that Easter is a powerful time of year, an important time of year when we think of the resurrection of Jesus and we revisit it. For important for all of us, everyone in this room, to take a spiritual inventory and settle that question. I want to give us all a moment to do that. And so I want to ask everybody in the room to take one of these connection cards. There's one on a seat back around you. There should be a pen there as well. Whether you've been, this is your first time to Mill City or you've been to Mill City for years, I want to ask everybody in the room to grab one. And you'll notice on the bottom right, four boxes, A, B, C, D. And I want us all to take a moment and indicate where we are on that as a way of taking this step of saying, I'm going to take some spiritual, a spiritual inventory. Check A if you, just a moment ago, placed or renewed your faith in Jesus today. You said yes to him. I trust you. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. Today, you're coming home. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Aaron, you've said a few things that I, I got to think about. A few things that I've never heard before. Ask the question in a way that I'm not quite sure what to do with or hadn't thought about the trilemma before, whatever the case might be. And, and, and maybe you just say, you know what, I, I, I would like a little more time. I'm, I'm curious. Would you indicate box B? Curious about Jesus, interested maybe in exploring more? Maybe you walked in here today and you'd say, I've already placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe he rose from the grave. Do you indicate box C? And maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I, I don't even know what to think. Or maybe you would say, I, 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 this is not for me. I'm never going to do that. Or maybe there's some other response or answer that you might have. Would you just indicate box D, other? It's important for us to be able to say, where am I? Jesus, significant, important. Of course, I would propose the most important, significant person in all of history. So therefore, we have to settle the what do I do with him and his resurrection? Just like John Duncan said, we can't just call him a teacher. Because he said he was way more than that wherever you find yourself on the spiritual journey, I want to take a moment and just pray for each and every one of us, everybody joining us online.
God, we thank you for the ways that you created the world originally in such a beautiful and perfect way. But then sin and death entered into the world. We decided that we wanted to live our lives and determine what was right and wrong on our own. And so we invited Seth and, excuse excuse me, invited death and sin into the world. (laughs) Sorry if your name's Seth. invited sin and death into the world, but you initiated a rescue plan culminating in your son Jesus going to the cross, giving his life away, self-sacrifice, making peace, loving his enemies, forgiving, buried, three days later, coming out of a grave, altering all of history. And as we stand in this moment, we look forward to the day that he returns and all things are made new as a result of what happened a couple thousand years ago on that first Easter Sunday. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be honest, maybe to have that courage to cross the line of faith. We thank you that you meet us exactly where we are in our pain with both empathy and hope. And so, God, we say before you, we trust you, we need you, we honor you. May you be glorified on this resurrection day. May we live out the resurrection in our everyday life. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said,